You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. It's been a while since we have been here together. And let me just review quickly for you this morning where we left off. The church in Corinth had lots of problems. If you recall, the church was first immature, and they were carnal. They were worldly. And those two combinations together are deadly for the life of a church. And here in chapter 6, we found that, that the believers in Corinth were pretending to have theological justification for living as they wanted. They were finding good reasons to do bad things, okay? And so if you've forgotten or this is new to you, you say, okay, what, what was it that they were looking to justify? What, what behavior were they doing that they thought was all right that Paul had a problem with? And here's the behavior, if you've forgotten. There were some members of the church in Corinth that were having sex with prostitutes. You know, just your average Sunday morning message, right? What was going on? And they believed because they were saved, that they had grace, they had freedom, that they were beyond the, the bondage of this life, that the body didn't matter, they could do whatever they wanted. The truth is their mantra in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 is this. All things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want to do. Later they say in verse 13, meat for the belly and the belly for the meat. It doesn't matter. The body doesn't matter. Do what you want to do. And Paul says, wait a minute, there's a problem with your ideas. There's a problem with your philosophy. They, they just don't mesh with your Christian life. And so then Paul, in the next few verses, will give them truth about who God is, what he has done for us, and who we are in light of this to correct their thinking on the problem with immorality. Let's just review quickly. Verse number 14, he says, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. He says first that this God that we serve is in the business of raising people from the dead. That's what he does. And in the eternal state, we will have a body. And so Paul says, in light of what God has done and what we will be, therefore, it's important what you do with this body. It does matter how you treat it. It does matter what you do. It is not to be worshipped, but it's not to be abused. The body's important. He goes on to verse number 15, and he says this, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? And here he's talking about the fact that believers now are united with Christ. We are one in him. We are one with Christ. And Paul says, because of that great truth, therefore, whatever you do, you are doing with Christ. You are one with him. You are in Christ. He continues then, verse number 18, 19, he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. 
And here Paul reminds them that God, by his goodness and grace, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, listen, if I go, my spirit will come, and that Holy Spirit will indwell the believer. Listen to me and get this. The person who knows Christ as Savior today, you are born again. You know that God has changed you. He bought you. He redeemed you. He saved you. You are born again. The Bible says that the Spirit of God The spirit that moved on creation. The spirit that rose, resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. That same spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit of God. You and I are the temple of God. His temple. And Paul says because of that great truth, we can't use God's house for a house of sin. And then finally, in verse number 20, he says this. For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And, and if I could, if, if there was someone at this point home to all of us this morning, that we have been bought with a price, that we have been redeemed. I, I think too often we forget that we were lost. Those of us who knew Christ, we were lost in sin. We were in bondage to sin. We were without hope. And left in that condition, we would face the wrath of God. And yet, God so loved the world that he stepped into our world. And Jesus Christ came. He walked among us. He lived a sinless life. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus shed his life's blood. For you and for me. We're not redeemed with things that are corruptible like gold and silver, but we're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. My friend, believer this morning, brother and sister, listen to me. You were bought. You were purchased. We were on the slave trade market with no hope. And Jesus stepped in. And he redeemed us. He purchased us. He ransomed us, and therefore, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so so Paul uses this truth to correct their thinking about immorality and says it does matter what you do and how you respond in life. And then what he does is this, and we we mentioned this two weeks ago. I want to hit this again. In the same sentence, in the same phrase work, in the same dynamics, the same truth, he then He corrects their idea about freedom and what freedom means because they had it all wrong. The Corinthians believed they could do whatever they wanted. It didn't matter. Paul says, wait a minute, your thinking is wrong. One of the things I'm concerned about in Christianity today is that we have misunderstood this concept of freedom, what it means to be free. And, And we have abuse this idea of freedom. We think that because we're in Christ, we can do whatever we want. There's, there's no problem with that. And Paul says that's not the case. There is a problem with that. This false idea of freedom shows a lack of discernment. It's dangerous to the life of the church. And so let's talk about freedom this morning if we can. Uh, Paul says in verse number 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. As believers this morning, 
we glory, we rejoice, we understand that we have freedom. We do. Uh, we have freedom this morning from sin's condemnation. From sin's condemnation. The wrath of God. God will deal with all sin. He will deal with your sin, my sin. And yet on Calvary, well, the wrath of God was poured on Jesus Christ. I am free from the wrath of God. It's freedom. It's real freedom. I don't have to work. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to be religious or righteous or baptized enough. It's God's free gift. It's grace. And we who know Christ, we have freedom from the consequences of sin. But not only that, you and I this morning as believers have freedom from the weight of our sin. Can I tell you something? We all have a past. All of us. And there are times in our life that that past can haunt us. But do you know something in Jesus Christ? My past is the past. It's done. It's over with. Listen to the words of John Newton. He said this, Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. I'm under the blood. I have been freed from that guilt. I don't have to beat myself up every day. I don't have to go back there and wish and hope and have regrets. I'm done with that. I've been given freedom from sin's condemnation. Not only that, I have freedom from the world's control. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Listen to me. By the power of Christ this morning, I don't have to be what I once was. Nor do you. We are free from this world shaping us and molding us. We can be free from our old lust and our old passions, our gossip, our greed, our self-centeredness, our snarkiness, our moodiness. I'm not brought under the world's control. I am free. And I am free from death's conquest. We got home on Saturday night from vacation, and uh, we weren't supposed to be back until Tuesday. And so we came to service on Sunday night for a communion. It was nice to be with the body of believers. And on Monday morning, at about it was early, I get, a, I get a text on my phone. And it says, hey, pastor, are you there? No. <laughs> um, and I just thought I would set that aside. Probably 12 years ago, I probably would have answered that on vacation, but I thought, ah, I'm not going to answer that. Twelve years ago, I didn't have a, an iPhone either, so I guess I wouldn't answer it either way. But I, but I thought, ah, that's all right. And the very next line said, my dad passed away. Like, okay, where are you at? What's going on? I'll be there. Death. You know, before I left, Donna buried her husband. I was gone. Mark lost his mother. Crows lost their father. And death keeps coming. You say, how can you say that we... We are free from death's conquest. That's what Paul said. Paul said, O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The strength of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And because of Christ, I am free from that. I may pass through the shadow, but on the other side is life for the believer. So we have freedom, and we glory in our freedom, and we rejoice in our freedom. But here's the problem. 
often in churches like this where we understand we are free in Christ. We understand God's grace. We understand we don't have to work to merit our salvation. There's nothing we can do. And we glory in this freedom. Sometimes there's a problem that when people understand that, they take it for granted, of course. They misunderstand what it means, and sometimes they take advantage of that. And we have a world today of believers who think that their freedom means I am free, therefore I'll do whatever I want to do. It's not the case. This thought is nothing new. The Corinthians thought that. The Corinthians thought that they were free to commit immorality. And it was okay because their sins were covered. They're on their way to heaven. It's happened throughout the ages. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you, you probably do know John uh, Bunyan, uh, the great preacher and writer from the 1600s, wrote the great work Pilgrim's Progress. Um, it, it's the greatest Christian analogy ever written. You should read it if you haven't. But Bunyan understood freedom and understood deliverance. As a matter of fact, in his tale, The Pilgrim's Progress, it talks about Christian, this burden, this weight, and letting go of that weight and rolling down a hill and the freedom that he felt. He often preached about grace and goodness and freedom. And here's what his members said to him. If you keep assuring the people of God's love, they will do whatever they want. And there is truth to that. There are some believers today who you believe that these are my rights, this is my freedom, this is my liberty, and I'll do whatever I want. And we have a younger generation of Christians who say, I have freedom, I can do whatever I want. We have an older generation who says, I have freedom, and I'm not going to do anything. They're both wrong. They're both wrong. Now listen, I want to talk to you this morning about your freedom. And, and right off the bat, I'm going to tell you something. Within most of us, we will rebel against what's being said this morning. Because the truth is, we are all rebels in heart. All of us. But I want you to listen. I want you to listen with purpose. I want you to hear what Paul says. Because this issue is important. It affects you. It affects your loved ones. It affects this church. It affects the cause of Christ. Okay? John Bunyan's congregation said, if you keep on doing this, John, people will do whatever they want to do. And here's what Bunyan's reply was. If I assure God's people of his love, they will do whatever he wants them to do. And that's the point. This is what the Lord understood. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you have liberty, but don't use those liberties as a cloak or as a covering for wickedness. And here in our text, Paul says, yeah, all things are lawful. But then he gives us some parameters and says, wait a minute. Not all things are expedient, good, In chapter 10, he says, not all things are edifying. And then he says, not, I shouldn't do anything that brings me under bondage. And so we're going to look at this this morning. These are the parameters that God has given us for our freedom. And let me remind you this morning as we go through this to remember who you are, in Christ and what he's done for you. So let's examine this this morning. Freedom. Freedom, how does this work? I want you to understand this morning as we go through this list in just three areas, we as believers need to quit saying, what can I do or what can I get away with or what's acceptable? We need to change that in light of who we are and say, 
what should I do instead? What should I do in my personal walk with Jesus Christ? When we make decisions and we practice freedom or liberty, we say, I have a right to do this, we must say, okay, wait a minute, how does this affect then my relationship with Jesus Christ? I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. And when we understand who Jesus is, for many of us, you know, this becomes like a ritual. We go through this. We come here. We, we sing. We pray. We, we hear the words, and we, we leave. But you understand something? Christianity is about a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ, that I am his, and he is mine, and we fellowship. And when I know who he is and what he has done, he is precious. Jesus is better than everything, everything. And sometimes we just don't get that. We think there's something better, something sparkles and it dazzles and it catches our attention. Jesus is better than everything. Sinclair Ferguson said this, knowing God is the single greatest privilege as a Christian. And it's true. And for too many of us, we do things, we make decisions, and we never once think, wait a minute, how is this action going to affect my fellowship with Christ? Listen to me. When you love someone, you don't want fellowship to be broken. Folks who are married, you understand this. Uh, I, I, sometimes I say from the pulpit, man, my wife and I, we, we hardly ever fight. And when I say that, that very day we get in a fight. So I'm not going to say that. Okay, It's a bad idea. Um, but the truth is, early on, I didn't mind fighting with her. I was a hardhead. I knew it all. And, 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 and this was great about her, because after a while, she would think it was her, her fault, and she'd come apologize to me for what I had done. It was a really great deal back then, all right? I was just a jerk. But you know, as we've grown in love, here's the truth of the matter. I don't want to fight with her anymore. I just don't. I'm getting too old. I don't have enough energy to do it anymore, all right? And I don't want to miss that fellowship. I actually like her. I do. I do. And I don't like it when there's something between us. We seek to settle those things quickly. Can I tell you, you have a lover of your soul, Jesus Christ. And for too many of us, we just live our life nilly-willy. We do what we want. We never once consider, how does this action affect my fellowship with him? Is it broken? Am I ashamed? He is better. This should cross our mind when we make a decision. Number two, in my witness to the lost around me. Is this action or activity, this so-called freedom, can I be a great witness to the lost and dying world doing this thing? Now, listen how ridiculous this is. Here in Corinth, the Corinthian believers believed that they could still be a witness for Christ as they were having sex with prostitutes. Don't know how that witnessing exchange would happen, right? It'd be very difficult. How in the world are they supposed to tell a lost and dying world that they're any different than they are? They're doing the same thing. And the fact is, when it comes to our freedom, we've got to ask, will this freedom that I'm enjoying, that I can do, will it limit my opportunity to share my faith? Church of Jesus Christ, listen to me. We are the ones who are supposed to be a light to a lost and dying world. 
We are the ones that are to show them an alternative to what life can be. And if we do things just because we want to do things and never take into consideration, how does this affect my witness for Christ? We're in trouble. It's not freedom at all. It's more selfishness. And here's the third area that we must consider. And I think that's of the utmost importance in working with other believers. In working with other believers. When we were away last couple weeks, um, the truth is, there was a point when I was like, you know what, I could sort of do this forever, I think. It's kind of nice to sit on a beach, right? Fish whenever you want. Uh, I was trying to justify how you could have purpose in this and maybe, you know, need a church here in this area, a little beach church. Be nice. But the fact is, I missed this body of believers. This place. Who would miss Chatham, right? I did. I missed this church. And the older I get, the more I understand the beauty and the glory of the church of Jesus Christ. We are in this thing together. Together. There is no... Lone Ranger, or I'm independent. We are interdependent, one with another. And here's the glory. Does a church have nutcakes in it, yes or no? Yes, it does. Do they have people that are hard to get along with? Yes, it does. Do they have people that are strange? Oh, yeah, that was a little too quick. Okay. It does. It does. But the truth is, what God has done is he... he he, by his goodness and grace, saves people from every walk of life, every status, every, every educational background. He, he saves them all and brings them together in what he calls a family. Hey, you got nutty people in your family, right? We got tons of them. We have uncles and aunts that we don't talk about. We don't, we don't want to see those people. The church has people like that, but what we do is this. Because we've been saved, because we're equal at the cross, because God is doing something, we are then to show the world God's glory and wisdom and grace by the way we interact with one another, by the way we love one another, and by the way we handle the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the truth. Ephesians 3.10 tells us the church, when it's right and unified and loving, it shouts the wisdom of God. And I'm concerned this morning that many believers have this attitude. Hey, man, I'm not my brother's keeper. That phrase is in the Bible, you know. Cain said it. You and I are our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper. This life in community matters. And before we make decisions on what we will do and how much freedom we have, and I can do whatever, we better consider our Savior, we better consider the lost world, and we better consider this local assembly of believers. To have a total disregard for the weaknesses of other believers shows several things. It shows, first, that I am carnal and worldly. I don't care. It shows that um, I am immature. And it shows that I don't understand the mind of Jesus Christ as a believer. Look at Philippians chapter 2 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen in just a moment. Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says about the mind of Christ. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, 
if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, compassion, loving kindness, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man upon his own things, but every man upon his own things. And then from there he talks about how Christ left glory, gave up his rights, and took upon him the form of man, and suffered and died for us. As believers, what we do does matter to people in this church. You've got to be careful for the sake of your freedom on what you choose to do. Will it affect the weakness of other believers? I, I had a lot of examples and illustrations I'm going to use this morning. I think I'm going to save them for chapter 8, um, some of these areas about freedom. But I want to give you an example of what it means to, to, before you do something, to act in the mind of Christ, taking these parameters of, fall, of Paul about being um, good, being expedient, not under bondage, and edifying other people. Um, the other day we had Travis Peters give a testimony on, on Wednesday night. If you know Travis, one of the deacons in our church, he's a good man. We've got a lot of good young men. And, and Travis always says that he, he can't talk in front of people, he likes to be behind the scenes. But the truth is, he's a fantastic speaker. He did a great job. As I listened to his testimony, I was moved by it. And then as I was preparing for this, I was going to talk about illustrations of my own life, but I think I have one better about how believers, before they make a decision, should think about the, the, the benefit of others. And it came from Travis. I won't spend the time this morning talking about alcohol, talking about what the Bible says, talking about the culture and the regularity of it in the past and what we do today and all those things. We'll talk about them in the future. But, let me, but listen to what I'm saying this morning. When Travis grew up in his home, grew up in a Christian home, and as he grew up, it wasn't uncommon for him and his dad, I think, to enjoy a beer every now and then. They'd work hard, they'd have a beer, and, and it wasn't a problem for them at all. They weren't convicted by it. It wasn't a big deal. Then Travis met Michelle. I know you're thinking, Michelle was a raving alcoholic, wasn't she? Right? I don't know. Well, she wasn't. But Michelle grew up in the kind of home, her and Tara, that was a lot different when it came to alcohol. Destructive. Right? Not all fun and games, right? For some of us this morning, we have seen alcohol destroy lives. I'm not exaggerating. Lives and marriages and homes and children. And that's the way she grew up. And Travis knew that. And Travis met her, fell in love. He told a little bit of the story on Wednesday. I think they knew each other for, I don't know, 11 months and got married. All right, just a whirlwind kind of deal. But he knew what it was. He knew it was love. And when they got married, here's what Travis decided. Travis decided... Because that was Michelle's past, and it was painful and harmful, that he, in love, would forego that. Can I tell you something? That is the epitome of what the church is all about. That we love our brothers and sisters in Christ before we just do something. And I'm telling you, anything. You can put anything in this, all right? Most of us never take the time to even think. 
We don't consider the Savior that we were bought with a price. We don't consider the lost who are on their way to hell without Jesus Christ and our lives being different in front of them. And we never consider people in this family who are struggling, who have weaknesses, and we just do what we want to do, and we disregard them. We, as God's people, must have discernment. We must know the Word of God. We must practice discretion, biblical discretion. And some of us, we, we think we have freedom, but it's not freedom at all. It's bondage. When you and I as believers say, I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. That's not freedom. You are in bondage to yourself, to your own pleasures, to your own lust, to your own way. And we have a bunch of impoverished souls this morning. Because we're all caught up in God's grace, and yet we fail to be gracious to people in our body, in this body. Their needs, their concerns, their weaknesses. Look with me, if you would, this morning to Matthew chapter 16. And just to sort of hammer this home and finish up this morning. Some of us as believers, we, we really, we, we just don't get what this is about. And we clamor for our rights and our freedom and what we want to do. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus then says to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse number 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Listen to me. When we are all bound to shape about what is my right, and we're going we're gonna to gain this, whether it's the biggest piece of cake, my way, my freedoms, my liberty, when we want to hold on to this thing, Jesus says, you lose. You lose your life. You've lost your life. You got what you wanted. You never thought about anything else. You lose. But then he says, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, it's not wasted. It's for his sake. Then we find our life. We have true life. This morning, uh, I, I know some of you are thinking, uh, Pastor, what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep us in bondage, man. You're trying to throw this heavy weight on us. Man, we're free. Don't be doing that to me. Listen to me. We have freedom this morning not to do what we want. We have freedom to live in harmony and peace with God and live the way he wants. That's freedom. Dan shared a quote with me the other day. It's from Seneca. He said, we are born subjects uh, to obey God. Uh, we are born subjects, and to obey God is perfect liberty. He that does this should be, will be free, safe, and happy. And here's the point this morning for all of us. When it comes to making decisions on what we should do, don't just make some decisions. This is what I want. Don't do that. I want you to think about our Savior. I want you to think about being able to witness to the lost. And I want you to think about how that decision affects other people in this church, the weaker brothers or sisters in Christ. We are called to die to self, ourself. Freedom is not doing what we want, but it's freedom to do what he wants. And here's the glorious truth of God's freedom. When I obey his commandments, when I listen to his leading, when I'm sensitive to the Spirit and do it his way, I then have freedom from shame of unfaithfulness. I have freedom from the worries of dishonesty. I have freedom from regrets of wrong decisions. 
I have freedom from the emptiness of materialism. I have freedom from the web of gossip. I have freedom from the compulsion of addictions. I have freedom from the embarrassment of anger. I have freedom from the hollow victories of ambition. And I have freedom of time wasted on myself. Listen to me. The Christian life is all about dying to self. So here's the question this morning for all of us. Who are you dying for? Is there somebody in your life where you've decided to make a decision and say, you said, I could do this, I could have this, but for their benefit, I am going to forgo that for the cause of Christ. Husband, this morning, do you ever once consider the well-being of your wife? How to help her, to encourage her, to love her by your decisions? Parents, do you ever think about your children, not just the here and now, but the big picture? Church believer, do you think about other people in this church? Are we dying to self? It's the Christian way. And here's the paradox of all of that. When I die to self, I truly live. I'm no longer in bondage to me and my whims and my desires and my freedom. I'm free to love, free to serve, and free to give of myself. We need to die to self. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. We have freedom to live in a way that pleases him and honors him and builds the body of Christ. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.